The world's most advanced prediction technology is now available to all players. Equine Edge AI analyzes all horse performance data, track conditions, jockey trainer statistics, and a horse's genetic strength to generate powerful metrics and ticket recommendations, backed up by real-time data. With Equine Edge, handicapping is simple, smart, and efficient. It takes the guesswork out of betting on horses so you can focus on enjoying the thrill of victory. Play like the pro today at equineedge.com. As part of our special summer promotion, we have an exclusive offer that is only for In The Money Media listeners. All In The Money Media listeners who are new to Equine Edge get the service absolutely free for an entire month. Simply use the promo code FREEMONEY on the account signup page or go directly to equineedge.com forward slash freemoney. With Delmar and Saratoga coming up, now is the perfect time to sign up for your free account and get familiar with this platform. Welcome to episode 103 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganville, and today my special guest is In The Money Media, Daily Gallup, a good friend of mine, Andrew Rosinski. Me and Andrew decided to go over Delaware Park, who had a pretty nice card from this past Saturday. We go over races 1, 7, 8, and 9. And some angles that we talk about are how Andrew's jock agent and backstretch work help him become a better handicapper is crazy, beautiful, a contender in the Philly division for later in this year. And how a horse in the finale that I liked off of a class note is one that Andrew likes even more coming out of this race. This is Redboard Rewind. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's episode of Redboard Rewind is Andrew Rosinski of In The Money Media and formerly The Daily Gallup. Andrew, how are you today? I am good, Spencer. How are you today? I'm good, my man. Glad to fi- have you on the pod. Glad to see you're uh, doing some solid work over there for uh, Parks Racing. It's nice to have some content Mondays and Tuesdays. Usually everyone's so excited for Wednesday through Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it keeps the, the energy flowing. And I think the uh, energy towards the website keeps flowing all week round. And, uh, you know, I like to put the spotlight on parks sometimes. It's it's key, too, because for me growing up, a lot of times I, I wasn't. I'm, first of all, I was never off weekends. And I usually had to find, you know, my two days off for Monday, Tuesday, which are the absolute two worst days to have off as a horse racing fan. So I was really I grew up playing a lot of parks. I played a lot of Mountaineer at night and playing those small time tracks. Just kind of, you know, it's a different way of handicapping because. A $7,500 is a one for a year drop compared to like the forty to 30,000 claimers we see at Naira. It's a big time difference in drops. And even though it might only be $1,000, that drop can almost be twice as big as what we do usually see at the bigger tracks. Oh, yeah, of course. And and sometimes even like those uh, made in 10 races, they mm-hmm. come up like a made in 20 or a made in 30 and then vice versa. So the the circuits like that that are smaller, they are sometimes tricky when it comes to conditions. I, I remember I was playing in a couple of tournaments and I played this two to five Penn National horse at parks. And you go, Penn National horses, they never ship well over to parks. And I'm like, what is this guy now? I'm going to prove him wrong. Horse ran absolutely dead last. And I'm like, well, now I have to listen to Andrew whenever he talks to me about shippers coming into parks. 
Yeah, Penn National form is usually like on buyers, I would say five, ten buyer points less than it shows. And uh, Ragus and Sheets, it's usually about three or four numbers slower than it shows. So, uh, yeah, Penn National form when it comes to parks is just uh, not always as good. Let's talk about your life growing up. Obviously, uh, you've done a lot of things, hot walking or a jockey agent for a while. Kind of just tell me, like, from the beginning, just how it kind of went and, you know, what got you stuck with the bug? Yeah, I uh, grew up at parks and surrounding mid-Atlantic tracks because uh, of where I was born and where I still live now. It's about five, ten minutes outside of parks. Um, But, yeah, as a teenager, you know, kid, whatnot, going on the racetrack on the weekends and, and, you know, just – hanging out with family and friends. And then as I became out of high school around 18, uh, one day when I was just in my community college course at night, I was wondering, you know, how do I make some extra money on the side, maybe try to get my foot in the business. Cause that's what I wanted to do since I was a kid. And uh, I found an article about a jockey agent that was about 18, 19 at the time. And I was like, oh, so you could be a jockey agent at a young age. You don't really need to have too much qualification. Anybody can technically be it. You don't have to have a foot in the door. So uh, I've known Kendrick Carmouche since I was about five, six years old when he first came to parks early 2000, 2001 area, uh, maybe 2002. And um, kept in touch with him out throughout my childhood and teenage years. And uh, one day at parks, he was there on a Tuesday. And I said, hey, uh, can I talk to you after your race? something important and I told him what I want to do and how I want to try to become a jockey agent and he gave me connects with his current agent now Kevin Bubzer who had a couple jockeys at parks at the time he showed me the ropes uh met Jonathan Wong who had horses out there and at parks for the for a little bit then like about six eight months and you know through a couple connections they gave me Inouel Beato for my first jock and I did the jockey agent for my whole 18 19 year uh year of my life so you know and it was fun i did it for about eight nine months and you know business came up slow so i had to go back to the the real life uh (laughs) of working but uh yeah and then recently um this past uh spring my buddy chris arrow the son of parks trainer and uh massachusetts uh new hampshire area um old time trainer been training for years uh mike arrow his son chris is michael trombetta's age uh assistant trainer and he uh did the golf stream circuit last winter he's doing delaware right now he's going to saratoga in the summer um me and him are pretty good friends pretty much best friends and uh he gave me a shot at hot walking teaching me the ropes of all that stuff because i was going to try to become you know maybe his assistant one day and work my way up but uh you know, asthma and all that stuff came back around a little <laughs> stronger this time since I had COVID a year ago, you know, so I had to, had to take a, take a step back and get out of that. But uh, yeah, it was fun. I learned a lot and now I'm just trying to focus on the analysis part. It's so crazy because there's so many different angles and areas you can get into in the business. Uh, for me, just the jockey agent stuff, I can just imagine like on your first day or like people who try it even for like Saratoga and it's like, Oh, I guess I should go talk to Chad and see if I can get on this horse and just trying to go to these people and, you know, Hey, this, my guy deserves a shot. And I can understand how hard it is, especially when you're a new jockey agent. Cause you're not going to get the, the solid books. You're going to get these guys, you know, the 10 pound, five pound weight apprentice. I'm sure. Did you kind of remember like those first few weeks, how it's just like, I'm getting up at 5.00 AM pouring my soul heart into these people. And I'm getting like 26 to one, 25 to one morning lines. And it's like, damn, what can I do to be better? Yeah. Uh, well, luckily, uh, 
Beato at the time, he had Jonathan Wong giving him some good horses and Richie Vega at the time giving him some good horses. And that was about it. But he didn't really have an agent. So when I hopped in, I could only expand. But he still had those two barns that he was, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to do. And then um, so my very first mount, which I was technically his agent and I didn't get him the mount, but it was a mount that I was still going to get paid for. Mm -hmm. Um, It was at Penn National. Jonathan Wong drove me up to to Penn National and you know because he had a horse in later that day and uh the horse ended up winning it was a $14,000 purse so I was one for one starting off the you know getting off the the shind and all that but uh and then you know it was fun I I probably had a couple like maybe four or five winners with Beato um but you know business gets stale and you know whatnot so you know we he went to Penn National and I didn't go with him but you know mm-hmm. the beginning days yeah it was tough it was a lot of hey do you need any help today every day seven days a week and, and, um, and a lot sometimes of oh yeah a ton of nose <laughs> and sometimes you overstay your welcome when you do that mm-hmm. you know they they get annoyed by you especially when you're just a kid walking around with a jockey you know mm-hmm. so but uh trainers like Uriah St. Louis and um you know, a couple got other small barns and whatnot, but definitely your ride St. Louis always gave me a lot of uh, race day horses, you know, you know, 30, 40 to one shots, but, you know, even at Monmouth and at Delaware, like mm-hmm. he's, he gave me horses, you know, cause we helped them out. And, um, you know, that I, I forever will, you know, show my gratitude to the, to those small barns that gave me some shots early on. Now you kind of switched to the analysis part. You did some great writing for me over the day, like out mostly with the state stuff. Obviously now you're at parks for Pete within the money. How much of being a jockey agent and like knowing kind of the ins and outs of Barnes helps you with the analysis compared to the random guy who just looks at the sheets every day? Oh yeah. I mean, when, when I was working at, with the Barnes at, you know, at Delaware with Trombetta and whatnot, like, just being around the horses, seeing if they eat, seeing if how they train exercise riders coming back, uh, you know, if they have the the vet come by and scope them because they maybe they bled during a work, you know, things you don't really know until after the fact, or maybe if you don't know at all when you handicap, you know, things that just happen to be you on the inside, you know, knowing a little bit more, being hands-on, you know, those were, I was waking up at 3 a.m., driving an hour to Delaware from Philly Mm -hmm. and every single day and, um, or driving with my friend. So like, you know, getting conversations with him, learning things about horses, you know, looks and this, that, and third definitely did help my handicapping when it came to just Delaware and parks. And now if I go to parks on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday and watch live racing, I can do the eye test a little bit better in the paddock and I can tell by which horses are on their toes and which horses coats look better and like just tiny things. I mean, I didn't learn a ton, but enough of the basics, you know, that can help me handicap better and pick winners. I I feel too, that just when people stop learning in this game, you're going to fall so far behind and it's already such a crucial, you know, gap, learning gap, learning curve to learn handicapping. And, you know, you show people these numbers and the people go, what do you do for a living? And they just get so, you know, confused. And obviously me with the bet squad, that's kind of how I got my foot in the door teaching people. And, you know, it's, they always, I used to make the joke. If their eyes get glazed, they're done. Nothing else will go into their brain and you have just packed them. And you have to send them on their way and either a hope they come back. And trust me, if you hand out winners, they always came back. As soon as you gave them a loser, they stopped coming back. It's just kind of how it always has been. And obviously doing the analysis, you know, I'm sure 
it, it's the it's the crux of the business. Do you you know go for that high win percentage and lower win mutual because you're having to put horses like Maxfield or another couple of horses we'll talk about today, or are you trying to find those you know twelve to fifteen dollar winners, which is hard enough, and you're also I'd love to find the guy who's hitting thirty percent with those kind of prices. Usually you're, they're going to be down closer, you know, the one in five twenty twenty five percent range. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, it, this isn't an easy game at all, and uh, you know. Not even just the handicapping aspect, but, you know, the the outside factors of like, you know, people with computers and this, that, and the third that can just, you know, find the right plays with the money. You know, it's not if you don't have all the, the access to everything, it's going to be a struggle just to handicap it on yourself. And um, so the, those guys that hit at a solid rate are really good. And I, I, I that's what I want to do. You know, I want to try to bring you know, good winners. That's why the, the articles at parks now I'm only doing my spot plays because when mm-hmm. I was giving out the whole card, it's like, you want to read eight pages worth of analysis, but like, I'm not confident on all 10 races. I'm only yeah. confident maybe three or four. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just tackle those three or four and give it better and more in-depth analysis of those four horses that I took on that day. I love that you brought that up, how with the spot plays and et cetera. And I was just talking with a friend of mine, Bobby. He's trying to get better ticket structure. And we went over one of his tickets from the other day. He hit for 900, but he had a lot of, you know, his three by threes, but he had set chalk, second chalk, and a bomb. And every once in a while, the bomb would come in. And I, I think it's so difficult when you look like even through a pick five sequence which is with Naira, it's the first five races. How many are you actually confident on? Let's say it's two. Let's say it's races two and four. Well, it's so hard because already, what, 60% of the of the sequence is not a confident idea. You can't put, really play any doubles into it because you're not having confident ideas back back to back. You can, I guess, play the two, three, four, pick three. But if two of your confidence things are very, very chalky horses, I mean, that means you got to play it for, you know, $10, $20. you got to really try and strike while the iron's hot. It, it's such a difficult game just learning the handicapping. Oh, now you have the betting, which, you know, let's say – 80% of us are good at handicapping and finding contenders. There's probably five to 10% that are actually realistically solid, solid betters that even if their handicapping might be a little bit weaker because they do such good ticket structure, they can make money year in, year out. Oh yeah. And you have been trying to, you know, guide and school me on the betting part uh, for probably a year now mm-hmm. and just, you know, making me, and it has made me a better, you know, better because handicapping wise, I, th- I find myself to be a, a pretty solid handicapper, but betting wise, I'm not the best. I try to chase and overdo it and, you know, spend a little bit too much money and more money than I need to. But um, I have been cutting back and I have been trying to attack spot plays and, you know, there have been better days net lately, you know, sure. I got lucky about a year ago, a year and a half ago with that pick cold pick five, but you know, you're not going to hit those every, you know, often, you know, you might hit one in a hundred on, on pick five. So mm-hmm. it's, it's tricky. You know, it's better off probably playing just the win places on, on horses that you like when you want to try to get profit and build up a bankroll. And even just going back to my friend's pick five, I, his most confident in those, uh, it was the late pick five, this is most confident for the last two races. And he had, both of his top picks won. I said, look at your double. The daily double paid twelve sixty. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but for chalkier horses that you like his top picks, anything over $10 to me is a solid, solid return. I said, if you just played a $10 double, it would have paid for your ticket if you had missed anything earlier. And I think a lot of times people, if they miss early in the pick five, well, then they play the pick four. 
And if they miss that, then they'll play the pick three. And it's like, at some point you have to just realize, well, I was wrong in, in a couple of races, which I was also at Delaware park on Saturday. And I'm super looking forward to talking about certain races that we had discussed. And it just happens to be for me. I have just over the last two months had a high uptick in my bankroll from just playing two horse Dutch bets. And that's uh betting two horses to win. My only rule is they have to both be above three to one. And if they're not, I pass the race. And I feel like for that, a, I'm going to the window more. My confidence is higher. And when my average winner is $11, you know, it's, I can go two races of playing, you know, two horses, or I can go four or five races, picking just one horse, knowing that I still have that little bit of plus ROI in the bank. Oh yeah. I totally agree with that. Like my uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I tried to just play the spot plays, maybe a little $5 win place on the, the three or four horses that I like that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if I get one, I'm, I'm taking a good probably break even on the day or if, or make profit um, because those spot plays that I take, I don't usually try to go after the heavy favorites, the mm-hmm. Jamie Nesses, the Lou Linders. I'm not trying to go after horses. I know are going to be four to five, three to five and probably win. I'm trying to go after the horses that are probably five or six to one morning line that I think have a shot to improve, or I watched a replay and I think the horse is going to improve with a change of jockey or a change of trainer or expansion of, uh, of surface. I mean, a switch of surface or, you know, longer stretch out or cutback, you know, stuff like that. And especially with watching parks almost every day of their races and, you know, each race and watching replays and being on track and knowing how the track is playing more often now, um, I've, I've noticed that my playbacks have been pretty well and done pretty well. And, um, I think that helps too. And I think if you just focus on one circuit and play small bets and, you know, not try to chase, you'll end up profiting in the long run. So we kind of talked about your jockey agent stuff, the hot walking. Let's talk about you as the handicapper. What kind of handicapper are you pace, class, speed, form, and also what some of your favorite angles are when you're playing at the races. Um, I really do like, uh, early speed horses a lot. Um, I used to like them when they would add blinkers, but you've also told me that they're actually probably better if they get rid of blinkers because they're a little bit, you know, open to run more and know what's around them. And instead of being so focused on just being in the front. Um, so I also like, um, the turf, the dirt angle sometimes, Mm um, with certain trainers, obviously. And if, you know, a horse doesn't have a good turf pedigree, but, um, probably my best one is like when a horse gets claimed to a better barn and they raise it up in class, that's probably one of my favorite ones because, you know, they usually just off of the connections alone, they're upgrading. And then on top of that, they're taking a risk to make more money and to put a horse in higher. If they're putting in a horse higher for a tag, they don't want to lose it. And they want to try to keep the horse, which makes, it means it likes, they like the horse more than they intended on. And, um, you know, the horse the, the races I kind of like to attack are those low level claiming races. Mm-hmm. Like I told you before those claiming 75 non-winners of six months at parks are like my bread and butter compared to like a grade one race or something mm-hmm. like that in New York. Well, even going back to what, when you talked about with just the claiming levels, I, uh, one of my favorite horses is Dumpf. Uh, when he won first time out for Deodoro last year, he paid like $90. It was like, obviously the biggest buyer spike and everyone obviously, you know, said the normal stuff that he uh, obviously it wasn't just hand water, et cetera. And now he was back with Theodore. He didn't run that well. And uh, Oscar Berea picked him up 
for the start. I think it was yesterday. And he jumped him in class, obviously, because with the claiming level rules, you can't you have to jump them within 30 days. And it was so funny because I'm like, how can I play this horse? And I looked at the race and I'm like, he has to be a contender in here. But now how can I play him? And I ended up looking through all the exactas of my contenders. And the only exactas that fit over my odds line were dumped over the other two contenders. So I ended up playing that race. Uh, he ran second. So surprisingly, I guess they actually did something decent with the horse. He ran second. And a horse that was 5-2 to two that I think Andy was just like stunned was 5-2 to two actually ended up winning the race. It was a very fast pace and everything kind of just uh, stopped up front. But the, the claiming levels, it, it's so logical to me. If a trainer is 7% and gets claimed off of, and then goes to Jamie Ness's barn, 9 out of 10 times, Jamie's going to improve the horse. If the horse doesn't improve, well, then maybe the horse A isn't just a racehorse, which obviously can happen. Or, you know, Jamie just didn't improve this one for some odd reason and then second time out all of a sudden there's the improvement oh yeah of course i mean at parks you got you know jamie ness is claiming horses and running them back and winning at like a 35 to 40 percent clip mm-hmm. but he's also winning any races at 35 to 40 percent this year and um and last year as well so like when a horse you know he's always at the claiming you know window every single day um even some days I'm I'm sitting at a table next to him and me and him are having conversations, watching races together. I mean, he, he he's a very sharp guy when it comes to putting horses in the right spots and whatnot. Um, and I, I think personally, just I think that if you go if you a horse is leaving a barn that's like five, six, seven, eight percent at parks. I mean, sure, those those trainers are, you know, they have less quality horses or they don't have that many horses in the first place. But if it jumps to a Jamie Ness barn, yeah, the horse is going to be improving 10, 11 lengths, probably, you know, just, just at parks alone. And, um, you know, those, those angles are, are angles I do like to, to bet on sometimes. Let's start out with these four races that, uh, I picked one, you picked the other three race. Number one from Delaware park was a maiden claiming race going one mile on the dirt. What'd you like in here, Andrew? So originally I really did like the first time starter, which was the three uh, Jordan surprise that the Kenton Morris barn is, is really firing this, uh, this meet. I mean, they don't have many horses, but they're, they're running well. And then you get a jockey like Raul Romano on it. And uh, it just, it, it made sense to me. And there was nothing really in this race that from a already ran standpoint that, stood out to me enough. So I, I did bet on the three at a, uh, like, I think it was like 20, 25 to mm-hmm. one. Um, and then the other horse I liked in this race that had some experience was the five bodacious blend. Um, my buddy, Eric is the agent for Joe trios down there. And, um, you know, he said he liked the horse a little bit. And I, I looked at the form and I seen that Tampa race two back. And I was like, you know, if this horse can run to that race, this horse can probably finish top three. And the horse was getting super over or under bet that race too. And uh, from the eight to one morning line. So I, I, I took those two and then um, for small little, maybe little place and show bets uh, and whatnot, nothing, nothing crazy, but those are the two horses I took in this race. This race was so difficult. And this is one reason I like Baden races for everyone. So you know, I think people start off being so scared by them because there's not enough information. And for me, I feel like there's just enough information that you can easily make your cross outs, your eliminations. And then whatever you're left with is what you're left with. You can't really, you know, I feel like a lot of times when people are like, oh, it last, last one off my ticket, it ends up always being a maiden race. And uh, Nakibia 
or N- Naki Bia, the uh, the one at two to one, one for thirty seven trainer. I really didn't want anything to really do with it, and as long as it was the favorite, but still had to be a contender based on the last two races of this or last two races on dirt, a forty seven and a fifty two, fit excellently in this race. One's within the buyer par, the other one's above the buyer par. And I, I had marked this one with a circle and said, watch the board, see what happens. Travel Girl, the two, I thought was going to show nice speed. Tourist, as a just a regular sire, is better dirt route. And with a small little class, class drop in the family, had a couple that had won a couple hundred thousand. I was wondering, though, Dale Bennett, 24%. Not a lot of second-time starters, 0 for 6, but did okay with blinkers on. And I thought, hmm, why does this one need blinkers when they already were speeding off going, you know, sub-22 at 6 for a long as I said. Maybe this one will go too too fast and end up uh, gassing out. Number four, awfully graceful. I thought the last two speeds somewhat fit, or race race two back fit with a 40. And had lost to what was technically the favorite. And I just wondered, I, th- I thought, so far, Gary Contessa is one for three with uh, Turf to Dirt at Delaware. But him and this jockey, uh, Spanabel, do very, very well together. So I thought this one had to be added as well. Last but not least, World Party. I think I should have crossed this one out, knowing how cold Suarez is. I think he was 0 for 14. The last number fits so well. And I didn't really want to have a horse that had nine starts. seemed to be like that lifetime maiden. I just ended up playing with those four horses, and I said, whoever's a favorite, I'll take off. I ended up being World Party. I ended up going with Awfully Graceful, just because Gary Contessa is not usually a Delaware trainer, and when you see him hooking up with good, decent jockeys, the horse is obviously, I would think, pretty well met. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, and Skylar Spanabel has been running and riding horses very well this, uh, this meet and mm-hmm. probably having the best meet of her career. Um, and she's been riding for Gary Contessa a lot, who has a decent sized barn at Delaware this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would agree, like, you know, it, the horse was definitely a horse that you could have used and probably should have used. But the only reason I didn't want to play the four is simply because the horse has declined since leaving the Jamie Ness barn. Mm-hmm. Um, not by a ton, but um, if. Jamie Ness wasn't put, uh, you know, they could, if Jamie Ness would give this horse up or the, the owners, I don't know if it was a private purchase or not. Um, but if the owners are going to leave that barn to go to Gary Contessa, um, especially in the mid Atlantic, it just, something was off. Maybe the horse wasn't as good. They had just a miscommunication, whatever. Um, but I, I just seen it as a little bit of a negative and that's why I couldn't play the horse at a short price. So I, that's why I faded that horse. But, uh, yeah, the same with the two, uh, Dale Bennett. I mean, I thought the two was going to be the horse that was going to be just you couldn't catch it. You know, blinkers on, cutting back a, or stretching out. Um, that bullet work, two workouts uh, ago, and also the first work out of that race, that means they probably added blinkers for that workout. Mm-hmm. means that the horse is probably going to just go right to the lead, hope they catch them. But um you know, that's not exactly what happened. We'll get into that after the, you know, once we start talking about the race. But, um, you know, it, it was, it was a, just a, you know, tricky race. And if you really look at the seven world party, Oliver Green leaves that horse after and goes to the to the one um, and lets Angel Suarez ride the seven. So, like, 
you know, yeah, it's an upgrade in jockey, but it's always interesting to see who jumps from what horse to what. So for me, it was number four. Awfully grateful for Andrew. It's a bodacious blend and steely or Jordan surprise. Sorry. Let's see who can break their maiden right now. Yeah, running a stumbling start for Travel Girl, but takes the lead nevertheless. Awfully Graceful came away in hand, and Nakibea protects that inside position. Bodacious Blend is in between rivals. Steely Band is caught wide. Ducking towards the inside is Jordan Surprise, and last of all is World Party. Six and a half furlongs to go, and Travel Girl is the leader and shows the way three parts of a length. Awfully Graceful right there in a position to challenge, leaving the first turn behind, and now Steely Band stacks him up three deep as they leave the first turn behind. Naki Bay is on a ground-saving mission in fourth position. Bodacious Blend is the meat in that sandwich. And World Party as there's two sets of three. And last of all is Jordan Surprise. They lurk towards the four and a half. And on the wide outside, Steely Band now takes the lead away from Travel Girl. And Awfully Graceful is only one length down from the leading lady, which is Steely Band. Naki Bay continues to scrape paint. Bodacious Blend is in a joint fifth. And on the wide outside is World Party and nothing from Jordan Surprise. They round the turn with three furlongs to go and Steely Band now kicks away to a four-length lead. Awfully Graceful takes second away. Travel Girl has no more to give. World Party's had a wide trip and Bodacious Blend is in between rivals and Akibea tries to close in on the inside for a minor award. Off the turn, they race for home. Steely Band continues the lead, but they're slowly trying to latch onto her speed. Awfully Graceful and Naki Bea coming with giant runs. And Bodacious Blend is three wide and charging hard to the eighth pole. Steely Band right now holding on by a thread. Naki Bea is getting closer with the 16th pole in sight. Here comes Naki Bea with a mid-track burst. And Naki Bea wins over Steely and the number one, Naki Bea, wins. 960 is the winning mutual, 50 for the buyer. Small little improvement off that last race. Steely Band runs a really nice second at 6-1. to one. Almost seemed like that one was just going to be clear from the race car as well. Thought that I, I loved how at the top of the turn, they go, Naki Bea is going to run for a minor place again. Here comes this horse at the uh, 16th pole just flying down to uh, to get the winning medal. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I think the race was really – one early on in the turn i mean if you i don't i don't know if you watched all the trips but i mean i figured you probably have your smart guy so <laughs> uh the one got a golden rail trip yeah i mean golden rail uh the the two went to its knees out of the gate and then had to get rushed up and got the lead so probably killed all its chances there but that's what the horse had to do and the horse wanted to go to the lead so i'm not going to knock eric lopez at all um and then you like the three hopped in the start, so like that killed the first time starter. I mean, he he never ran it, or she never ran after that. And then the seven broke out and almost went to the the outside rail. So like the break wasn't the cleanest. It kind of messed up a lot of trips. Um, and then the the six was wide the whole time. I mean, they go three wide to start off the the backside, and the one just sits right behind them all. And then the six had to go. Is either you go or you don't. And if you don't, you're going to fall back and probably finish up the track. So uh, Bancourt went and tried to steal a race early, but probably just blew all of his energy doing that. And surprisingly still held on for, you know, a good up until about the last hundred yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, the the trip for that Aubrey gave the one wasn't the best. 
but it was enough yeah and it was it was you know she she didn't get it in too much trouble but because the two stumbles out the gate the two then um checks out and the one had to be um like you know the one had to get checked on the rail going into the turn then the rail opens up she sneaks up the rail and then she had to angle out and then it was a hand ride there the rest of the way so i mean it was a perfectly timed ride just you know the rail skimming trip can uh, sometimes not result in a as good of a trip as she got. And I think too, a lot of people, everyone's so worried about getting bogged down on the rail. Everyone's like, pick this horse six wide. And then when they lose by three quarters of a length, all they needed to do was be in one or two more, you know, if they're in the six path instead of the, the or if they're in the four path instead of the six path, they probably win the race. I, I think the main thing for me coming out of this race is that world party being the favorite with a cold jock, but also jumping in class had just lost at the six, 16,000. And yes, the buyer fits. The buyer was above the buyer part. So obviously the jumping class is justified, but still this one had the jumping class, you know, had run a bunch of fifties. I think I had it where six of the 10 buyers out of the 10 races I looked at all fit in this race, but we have a horse jumping in class and maiden claiming. How often does that, you know, result in a win? A lot of times we, you know, we want to see that dropper. And in this one maiden claiming or maiden special weight dropper wins and pays nine sixty. I, f- I feel like specific angles, especially at the maiden levels, really do diversify a solid angle compared to a normal angle we'd see in a claiming race or an allowance race. Oh, I 100% agree. I mean, it, it, when these maidens, they could look like career maidens and then they jump up in class, but they have good enough numbers to jump up in class. They're always sneaky because just because they're 0 15, like look at the, uh, the like Steely Band in this race. I mean, the horse is coming out of Penn National, a maiden 25, where he ran a 57 buyer, but it's 10 to 1 morning line because he's 0 for 15. He mm-hmm. is a known hanger and has lost at weaker. You know, it hasn't gotten mm-hmm. the job done at weaker, but this race runs second and, and pays a decent price in the middle. I mean, you get $7 back in the middle, and the form shows that the horse has competed at this level at a different track. Let's move on to our second race, race number seven from Delaware Park. It was the grade three Kent, one and one eighth miles on the turf. I feel like I kind of overthought this race. What did you like in here, Andrew? Um, I did like uh, like the King a lot. I thought that the horse would be a little bit more forwardly placed today. Um, and I like that Wesley Ward was putting it back on the turf. There was rain in the, you know, uh, it was raining during the race, I believe, or it just finished, but it rained all day. So the horse, you know, has done good on synthetic, which, you know, I like when a synthetic horse goes to a little bit more of a wet turf. It's more like firm to me, Um, but that's just my opinion. So the horse has won a grade three, you know, the Jeff Ruby stakes, you know, Kentucky Derby prep horse. Like this was on the on the circuit for that. And but I always thought this horse was more of a turf than than synthetic horse Mm -hmm. um, rather than dirt. I mean, this horse didn't show anything in the derby, but. Um, you know, and then, and then I think it was Landeros, Landeros that ride rode this horse. So the horse that like, he's shipping in to ride the horse and whatnot, you know, it's just, it's, there was things that I liked about it. So that's why I took five on top. And then, um, I honestly really did like Wootenus asset as my second choice. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the European form and then the rain and whatnot, this horse has won on a soft turf before it was raining. Like it would be in, in over in the UK. 
and in France and whatnot. So, uh, you know, I figured that horse would improve just because of the surface. I think in this race, I looked at yes, this time, Kelly Breen, obviously when you win four in a row, you're in pretty good form and had just won the English channel. And for me, a lot of class from, you know, the old Quinn books was great threes and listed stakes can kind of be intermingled depending on who was in the races. So, this horse also would run back-to-back 84s on the turf. I'm a lot less worried about a bounce than on the dirt. So this one I thought had a really, really solid buyer edge. And I still ended up on the sixth Eamon. I think I just fell in love with a jockey switch to Mike Smith. And I don't, I, I think for me, the jockey switch, the slow improvement had gone from a 58 to breaking the maiden to winning an optional. And then I'd run just missing in the optional 75. And I thought this one shipping, you know, for maybe tougher races at Gulfstream Park, even though also, yes, this time was coming from Gulfstream Park. I thought these two were kind of the ones I wanted to have. So I played a cold, yes, this time, Eamon double or Eamon uh, exacta. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yes, this time also beat Kings of Dreams, mm-hmm. uh, which beat Eamon in the Eamon's last race. So you know, yes, this time won the English channel and beating King of Dreams. So it had that slight advantage. Um, and, you know, Joe, obviously, uh, what, what was it? Uh, Joe Bravo, mm-hmm. you know, his main horse, the one scratched out of the race. Uh, and then he took the the two. So that's always a step up. I mean, this horse, Joe Bravo is a good rider. You know, he he's also my kryptonite when it comes to betting. But, you know, he like if I bet on him. He doesn't do anything. If, you know, if I don't bet on bet on him, he always beats me. But uh you know, can't knock the the talent there. So, like, it was a good, you know, good jockey choice there, too. So, four. Me is yes this time. Eamon Exacta. Four. Andrew, it was Wooten Asset and Like the King. Let's see who can win this grade three right now. And running. Good inside speed from Yes This Time. And the Gray B here is also right there in the main division. And Like the King is patiently ridden as they are stacked up across the course. To the outside, Amen also is in the front flight as well, tapping off the speed as Wooton Asset. And last of all is 007 as they link up now with the course proper. Like the King under a sedate gallop shows the way by a measured length, tracked intently by Amen to the outside. And with one lap to go, B here stays towards the rail, and there is no paced on over the soft going. Wuton Asset is off the fence in fourth position. Yes, this time is right there too. Only four lanes off the speed and last of all is 007. Five and a half for longs to go in the Kent Stake and like the King makes play and shows the way a length and a half. Amen tracks the speed in second and be here relegated to third as they leave the first turn behind. Wuton Asset, one off the fence and is only three lanes down from the speed that is held by the 7-2 gamble on like the King. Second last, yes, this time and 007 continues to bring up the rear but only four lanes would cover tip to tail there's a half mile to go in the 66th edition of the Kent Stakes and like the king continues to control the clock and is in hand for Chris Landeros with a length and a half in front B here is getting closer up the fence and on the outside Amon can wait no more getting closer to the speed Wuton Asset right there in the thick of things too 007 tries to get going yes this time is last of all they approach the quarter pole and like the king has a battle on his hands. Amen is trying to press on pass and on the wide outside. 007 closes in. Yes, this time has a great big run on the fence as they get towards the eighth pole. Like the king is unwavering on the lead. Wuton Asset is getting closer. Yes, this time comes probing up the rail. And yes, this time is looking for five in a row and will get there. Yes, this time has won the Kent Stakes. 
And yes, this time, the number two gets it done, paying 420 Solid, solid favorite. 79 buyers, so actually declined from the 84s that have been running at Gulfstream Park. Maybe this was a chance to, you know, get an upset here. Nobody could unfortunately do it. You run second and third in this race, and good improvement on Wooten Asset, so I think you're right. I think that the, the ground definitely helped this one. Like the King kind of just, you know, ran the same race he ran last time. Yeah, but the thing is with this race is that the uh, the fractions in this race, mm -hmm. I don't know how, like, the King gets caught. Um, 25 and 63 mm -hmm. in the first quarter and 51-21 in the half, and it was a kind of a loose lead as well. I mean, the horse got the lead, had about a length, length and a half lead the whole way around, and uh, wasn't really, in like, asking. I mean, the horse walked on the lead. Um, and the fact that the two yes this time was damn near last the whole the whole way yeah and sat on the trail or the rail and got you know the perfect trip i mean the rail was golden it looked like in the just overall the whole day i mean the just just how it was like these horses were going up the rail and if it wasn't middle of a rainstorm on the dirt they they were staying on the rail and the rail was holding so joe bravo got the perfect trip um, and honestly closed into slow fractions. I mean, th these horses walked and to skim the rail like he did and just go up the rail and get by. I mean, the five didn't just hand over the, mm -hmm. the, the race. So I, I really did like the trip from yes, this time. And honestly, I think yes, this time is going to improve. And I think the buyer was only slow or slower because of the fractions being mm -hmm. so slow. Um, so honestly, I think it's more like an 81 or an 82 buyer in my book instead of a 79 um, because just how the, the, the trip was. And that's so key when you can do, you know, everyone has a specific number they look at, Brisnet, et cetera. But when you can make your own figures, even if you're just basing it off of, you know, slight improvement or decline, you know, closing to slow fractions, you know, is a couple points up. If you're on the lead and you're on a, you know, a, a fiery pace, you can move that horse up as well. I, I think that's really important. I think like the king. Maybe you have to downgrade from from walking from walking the dog, and maybe that seventy seven is more like a seventy five or a seventy four. And when they come out and they see that second, and now he drops into allowance, well, maybe the drop is because they don't think the horse is as good. And you already know that from looking at this last race and writing the note. Oh, slow fractions couldn't get it done. You know, needs weaker, but maybe he's still not even good enough to win. You know, the N one extra allowance race in general. Oh yeah, I agree. Um, I I don't think like the king is necessarily only an allowance horse, mm -hmm. but I don't know if he is as good as he is or as Wesley Ward thinks he is right now, or maybe the ownership group. I don't know who's calling the shots there, but like, he's definitely not a grade one, grade two, grade three horse. Um, or if he is, it's those borderline grade threes. And maybe he might he actually just be a synthetic horse. I mean, mm -hmm. honest to God, like, turf yeah he's done okay he broke his maiden on the turf but he broke his maiden at belterra you yeah. know the turf races at belterra aren't the best and then you know he didn't do too much at churchill he got a perfect trip at delaware on saturday i think he might just be a better synthetic horse you know or maybe he just really likes turfway i mean it could just be that and you know that could that could help him in the long run but uh right now i don't know where they put him next it's always good when you can kind of, you know, make questions to find, hopefully find the answers after races. And sometimes you don't. You just have to kind of make that educated guess that until they run back, they can prove you wrong. Let's move on to our third race. Race number eight from Delaware Park on Saturday was the grade three Delaware Oaks. One on one sixty miles on the dirt. We get the return of Crazy Beautiful, a horse that I was not 
really super enamored with going into last year with all the Alcibiades Pocahontas races as well. What did you like in here, Andrew? I took the top, uh, my top choice being crazy beautiful. I just thought the horse outclassed this field by a ton and um, whatnot. But I really, really did like hybrid ex- eclipse as my uh, underneath as a price horse. A uh, good friend of mine is a uh, George Vargas Jr. and whatnot. You know, good pal of mine, fellow Sixers fan, whatnot. So, you know, I was cheering for him, and you know, the horse in the optional claiming races had been pretty good thought he would be closer to lead, you know, if, you know, he maybe even get the lead. Um, and I know Vargas has come back off an injury, a back injury, you know, so he's a little hungrier now. He's a little trying to get back in the swing of things and whatnot. And um, you can't really go wrong with Linda Rice. You know, she always has good horses and she fires. So, you know, I, I, that's who I took um, underneath. So it was seven with the five. And I also used the four as in case, you know, the pace had collapsed and there was a closer. I used the four underneath because, you know, Sheldon and Brittany Russell, they, they team up pretty mm-hmm. well. You know, Brittany Russell's firing at 24%. Sheldon Russell rides really good for her. You know, they're obviously, you know, really, they're a couple and whatnot. So, um, I, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And he, he, that horse ran third in the Miss Perkins, which was a good prep for this race and they have a great start. So I think if this horse sat closer today, it would have a good shot. I, I think now, obviously, ahead of time, I had said I had not liked Crazy Beautiful throughout her career. I think in this race, it was kind of just, I feel like we have the Maxfield and the, you know, Knicks go their previous races. It's just, can we beat up on the tomato cans today and just move on to the next race? Uh, the horse I wanted to use underneath was leader of the band, Frankie Pennington, one of my favorite ra- uh, riders from growing up. And just, you know, that's who, a lot of the, who I played when I was playing parks growing up. Goes out for John Service, who had two in here. He also had Midnight Obsession, who I was less intrigued on. And I just feel at Parks had the win in the mud against State Breads, and then it's you know a couple board hits, and then a one again for Frankie. First time on for him at seven. I thought, well, now we'll stretch out here, and maybe this one will be good enough to uh, to get a piece. But I I'm with you, crazy beautiful. I think here has to win. If she doesn't, then uh, there's obviously other problems abroad. It is a consensus pick here, crazy beautiful for me and Andrew. Let's see if she can get it done here in the grade three right now. And running. Crazy Beautiful was out well, but early speed from Orbs Baby Girl and Hybrid Eclipse, and these two floor it as they pass the stands on this first occasion. So Orbs Baby Girl's the leader. Hybrid Eclipse tries to tap off the speed in second, and Crazy Beautiful is off the inside for clear sailing in that third place position. Midnight Obsession tries to squeeze on through with a 7 8 pull, and right behind that one is Exogen. Juror number four is in front of three, which is Baby Gundan, and the last two markers are She a Hot Mess, and nothing yet from leader of the band three quarters of a mile to go in the delaware oaks and its orbs baby girls she controls the speed and shows the way a length and a tail hybrid eclipse is getting a bit closer to the speed and crazy beautiful eyeballs the both of them midnight obsession stays towards the inside and a wide trip for baby gundan juror number four is in front of three rivals now which includes a rail skimming exogen she a hot mess and leader of the band's been last of all four furlongs to go for orbs baby girls and breathing down that rival's neck is hybrid eclipse as they enter the turn. Crazy Beautiful and Mike Smith hasn't asked this one yet, and right behind them is Midnight Obsession as they make the turn. Orbs Baby Girl is trying to hold on to a slim lead, and there goes hybrid eclipse now to take the lead. Crazy Beautiful starting those long, graceful strides at hybrid eclipse, and right there is Midnight Obsession. These are the three principles at the 3 and Crazy Beautiful can wait no more, and she slingshots to the top 
starting to back off the paces. Hybrid Eclipse and Midnight Obsession is running on for the balance inside the furlong grounds. And Crazy Beautiful, the strides are long, the strides are strong, and she was sensational today. Crazy Beautiful has crushed the Delaware Oaks field. And the number seven, Crazy Beautiful gets it done. 260 was the winning mutual, 91 buyer, so definitely on the improve. I think the, the main question here from me to you is where does Crazy Beautiful stand up against the rest of the division right now? I think that, you know, the way she dominated this field and never really was asked by Mike Smith, you know, had a wide first turn, but still got the got into the position, never chased the leaders. Um, and then top of the turn just she opened up herself. I mean, mm -hmm. Mike Smith didn't even have to, you know, give her the little nudge to go. Um, I think this was a good prep for Saratoga, honestly. Um, or or Delmar if she goes out west. She's been out west before. Um, but I think she goes to a grade two or grade one. I don't know exactly which race they're gonna point to, but you know, one of them. And she she definitely is gonna be on the path to uh try to get into a Breeders' Cup race this fall. I think now with the ninety one I, I don't think she stacks up with, you know, Malith, that search results, those types yet, but had won the Gulfstream Park Oaks going into the Kentucky Oaks. And something I talked about a lot with Acacia Courtney is a lot of those horses that do well in those Florida stakes don't seem to ever do well in the Oaks. I can think of plenty of them that came out and then just also didn't improve really in their three-year-old season. This one then, you know, some the summer oaks down at Santanita. So now they're traveling all over this horse. Gulfstream Churchill now over to Santanita, now over to Delaware. I think this is going to kind of be the horse we talk about for the Colts where, you know, maybe doesn't do too well in the Derby, but then goes, you know, Pennsylvania Derby, Oklahoma Derby, West Virginia Derby, and kind of pick up all these small checks. And I think if she ends up going to Saratoga, I think she'll probably end up getting her doors blown off by mouth that or search results and again. But don't discredit this horse at 17 to one to run third that can snap you off of a trifecta and exacta. Cause I think that she has one of those races in her this year. If she stays in against the big girls, if she doesn't and goes against the weaker horses, I think she can win a couple more grade stakes this year. Oh, I 100% agree. I think that if they don't, you know, obviously go to those big time tracks, um, just these connections alone, I think would probably try, um, you know, with Phoenix, thoroughbred McPeak, you know, mm -hmm. Mike Smith, has come in to ride at Delaware and also ridden at Santa Anita. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they go there or if they go to a place, you know, one of these B or C level tracks and take a 300 K stake race, you know, like they did here at Delaware. I wouldn't be surprised if she ran into cotillion in the cotillion in September, um, you know, at parks uh, for a million. Um, she would probably fit really well there. Honestly, um, I would, I, if I didn't go to, if I don't go to Saratoga with this horse, if I'm the owners, I probably do go to parks about it and go to Cotillion because Cotillion is going to come up, you know, it either comes up super salty or it comes up weak, you know, and it, it's either or, you know, sometimes there's there's parks horses that are running small stakes that are running in that race and and that's it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly where, but I, it could be either or and I wouldn't be surprised with either. Nothing else really in the race enamored me. I ran third. The horse was fine running third. Uh, the, the thing I'll leave off for this race is I think, um, for how many people complain about Mike Smith and his ride, I think that this one, I think he fits this horse really well. And I think if he stays on, it will definitely be an added plus for this horse. Let's move on to the last race of this podcast. Race number nine, maiden special eight mile and a 16th on the turf. What'd we like in here, Andrew? Um, on top, I really did like grand motions, uh, first time starter legitimately. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought the horse would, you know, 
do pretty good first time out, even though Grand Motion doesn't really fire first time out. But Victor Carrasco get, taking them out. The horse had solid turf breeding, you know, on the damn side. But uh, I also really did like um, the eight and taking time off, which, you know, looked like it was going to go to the lead. Michael Sanchez has been riding lights out since switching his tack to Delaware from Parks. And, um, you know, he's been – he's not riding a ton, you know, 23 starts this year, but seven wins. I mean, he's he's getting on the horses that are going to win. Like, they're put, putting him in the right spots, and he's taking all the money. I mean, he's riding at Parks and, you know, Pimlico and whatnot, all that stuff too. But wherever he seems to be riding and whatever horses he seems to be on, he's in the right spot, and he ends up in the winner's circle, and it's just how it is. So riding this Godolphin Philly, I thought he had a shot if he got the lead. And that was about it. So I was all over the eight and the six here. It was also, we'll mention that the course was now soft here for this turf race. It might have been soft also for the Ken. I can't remember. I, uh, I was all over the place in this race. Indian Harley had a, he was coming out of a key race last time out at Pimlico on the turf. I just didn't know how much the number fit. I definitely improved, obviously, off the way up. Now, can Graham, who also has a first turn here, get this one to improve again for Carol Cedeno, who has always been known as a well, as a very, very solid jockey over at Delaware. Unshakable you, Sheldon Russell, Anthony Ferrier. I, I like the jockey chain. I like the trainer chain, sorry. And just had been running at Gulfstream Park, which I think a lot of times that those kind of races will outclass the races here at Delaware. The first time stars, I, it, it's hard to a win with the first time start. It's also hard to win going long. And now on the turf, it's also difficult. Suge was only 10%, but he's 5% first time turf. I understand why you like grand motion. I love the fact that you got the fair hill works in there. Just 9% though. Uh, debut over mile was only 8%. I, it, I'm going to let this one beat me, especially when you look at the odds and you see a horse like pruning going off at sub two to one and legitimately was seven to two. They can beat me in this race. I didn't really know where else to go except for the one and the seven. And for me, Obviously, with the one scratching out, I ended up on the seven. Seven to two, I thought was pretty fair. We'll see if I can get a nice little improvement off the key race angle as well. Carol staying on. I bet this one to win. For me, it was the seven Indian heart. For you, it was taking time off. And legitimately, let's see who can break their maiden right here in the finale right now. Again, running just a step slow was legitimately on the outside taking time off and immense are sent for that early lead and up the inside is baby coming away in fourth position is pruning in front of three rivals which include indian heart farcical and a slow start leaves legitimately trying to close from the back of the pack but taking time off is unopposed and shows the way at the six and a half by a three-length cushion Immense is content to track on this rail in second, and Baby protects the inside as well. One off the fence, Pruning is all by herself in fourth position, and Indian Heart gallops along in the center of the track. Farcical in front of one, and legitimately getting a little bit closer to the rest of the pack. But taking time off has no excuses today, passes the five furlong and leads by a length and three quarters. Immense continues to track the speed in second, and up the inside, Baby is right there in a position to challenge, and towards the outside, Indian Heart is relegated to fifth, as Pruning takes the fourth spot away, farcical and legitimately the grazer near the back of the pack. They have three and a half furlongs to go, and taking time off continues to be the controlling speed, but Immense is right there breathing down her neck in that second place position, Pruning 
Houston starting to get on track. B.B. needs to do a lot better than that. Wide outside for Indian Heart. And Farcical starts a steady advance along with legitimately a quarter from home. And taking time off is playing catch me if you can. Pruning is trying to take ground away. Indian Heart is kicked three wide and a rail skimming. Farcical is coming with giant strides too. Taking time off continues to give plenty. Still chasing his pruning. Inside of Farcical. 16th pull passes. And taking time off has led him all the way around the track at three to one. Taking time off win and taking time off does get it done paying 880 with a sol- solid 64 buyer for the first time being on the turf uh for a horse that doesn't have very good turf breeding in my thoughts but uh good pick by you andrew and i'm sure i'm sure you're happy with uh with 880 in the bank oh yeah it was great uh you know like i said if you know if i would looked at it as if michael gets aggressive on this horse and gets him to the lead he's going to try to play catch me if he can and he yes, sure, he almost did get caught, mm-hmm. but with that soft turf, it's hard to close um, on certain surfaces. In Delaware, I mean, it's an elevated turf course from the dirt, so you know, it, it's just it's an odd turf course sometimes, and speed sometimes holds. I kind of take it as it looks like it's it kind of Delaware's turf translates more to Tampa turf. Mm-hmm. I think they play kind of the same way, and if you know Tampa, you're on the lead, turning for home, you have a good chance of holding on. Um, so I did like that. I liked how Godolphin, you know, obviously took it a horse to the turf. Um, you know, yeah, there wasn't much turf breeding, but you know, this, this horse was bred by Godolphin, owned by Godolphin and then showed early speed. I just, I took a shot. Um, my first time starter did not do good. I mean, they, it, the horse finished what fifth, you mm-hmm. know, nothing, nothing special, but there is a horse, which was your top pick that I do want to bet back. And that is Indian heart. Um, it's hard for Indian Heart to, you know, close on, on a turf surface like that. Um, and if you look like, you know, Carl's getting into this horse, closing like a rocket, mm-hmm. but the horse couldn't straight, straighten out, was lugging in. It was also pouring rain during this race. I mean, it was it was just not great conditions for uh, especially maidens, but, you know, fillies and, you know, whatnot. So if I do want to play a horse coming out of this race, it's probably Indian heart on a, on a firm surface, which will probably be a Delaware in about two, three weeks. I, so. I, I think as well, just the fact that a horse with no turf breeding wins this race, I think I'm going to put into it that the surface did have a more, a bigger part than a lot of other people will think. And I think Indian heart just missing, obviously would have to get would just barely beat the first time starter as well. I'm hoping that, this horse kind of stays at that 72 four to one level. If she gets bet down anymore, I think it's going to be a hard pass for me. Cause I just don't know how much she wants to pass horses in the lane. And I think if we can find another horse like pruning with maybe a little bit better breeding or just one that wants to go that longer distance that this one will end up running second and could be a solid key in underneath exactas. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, pruning was, it did perform very well. First time out for Shug and, uh, you know, Joe Bravo, Joe Bravo was just dominating. The, yes. On Saturday, mm-hmm has been riding really well in the mid-Atlantic since not going to Monmouth and all that. So, you know, I'm good, glad to see some of these guys do good, and that, now that shows how good of a jockey he is because that horse did really run well first time out. That is all the time we have for today's podcast. I want to thank my special guest, Andrew Rodinsky, and just kind of tell people where they can find you on social media where they can talk to you about races. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter all the time, phillyboy415. Uh if you're ever in the parks area, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, you probably catch me at the races. Um, 
you know, everywhere else is just, you know, I'm around. I'll be, I'll be up at Saratoga at part time or sometimes up there uh, this summer. And, you know, sometimes I'm at Delaware, sometimes at Monmouth, I'm at Monmouth. Um, so yeah, just Philly boy, four, one, five on Twitter. And, you know, I post my picks there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for in the money and any other tracks or sequences I like to bet that I think are share worthy. I'm, I'm there too. So. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thanks again to all the wonderful listeners for this podcast and my special guest, Andrew Rosinski. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's present is Pierre Thomas Forentale. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Cotney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. We will see you next time.